Welcome to What That Means with Camille, companion episodes to the Cybersecurity Inside podcast. In this series, Camille asks top technical experts to explain, in plain English, commonly used terms in their field, then dives deeper, giving you insights into the hottest topics and arguments they face. Get the definition directly from those who are defining it. Now, here is Camille Moorhart. Welcome to today's episode of Cybersecurity Inside. Today, we have Mo Hagigat with us. He's a fellow at Intel, responsible for all of Intel's web architecture, as well as software optimization around the web. We are going to talk with him about ambient compute. So welcome to the show. Um, Mo, it is great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Really a privilege. We want to start what that means by just having you define what is ambient compute. Could you tell us in a couple of minutes what it is, and then we'll go into the history of it after that? Ambient computing basically refers to this notion that computing is done by the ambient. Essentially, computing has faded in the ambient. And instead of interacting with a device like your PC or your phone, you are actually interacting with the ambient. Ambient has become your new computer. If we look at the history of computing, we can recognize three distinct major eras. We had the mainframe era, where like in uh, 50s and 60s and even part of 70s, when you talked about using a computer, that meant using a mainframe. It's like a large uh, computer center with large equipment, and you go and either interact with uh, the computer through like writing programs using punch cards, or you had a sort of dumb terminal that was connected to the computer. That era then resulted in what became PC era or personal computing era. Then you had your own personal computer. And in the PC era came technologies like mobile and uh, smartphones and, and cloud, etc. And now we are at the early stages of ambient computing era, where the notion of computing becomes uh, essentially interacting uh, with the ambient. Now, the technologies from eras could uh, coexist. In the PC era, we still had mainframes and we still actually have it now. And now in the ambient computing era, we would be having PCs and we still might have main computers. But the dominant form of computing is changing. So transition from these eras are facilitated by some transitional technologies that this, you can think of them as forces that transition you from one era to another one. They are basically technologies that are deeply rooted in the current era, but they have a flavor and give you a flavor of what is going to come. Like in the mainframe era came the notion of smaller computers, but still then, it was inconceivable. In fact, former CEO of digital is known for having said, who wants to have a you know, computer on their desk? <laughs> but then came that in the PC era, technologies came like web, 
which basically meant, oh, you do not have to have everything on your PC. And then cloud came, which meant, oh, you don't even have to own part of the computer that have delivered your experience. It is somewhere. You don't even have to know where it is. It, it is in the cloud. Or mobile came, which is basically you can move your computer with yourself. You don't have to have it stationary on your desk. And uh, so cloud, mobile, web, IoT, these are these technologies, transitional technologies that are transitioning us from the personal computing era, personal device era, to ambient era. I just want to make sure that everybody has a really good understanding of where we're headed with ambient compute. So I get that, you know, with a device that sits, you know, in the kitchen or on the hearth or something at home, you can say, hey, you device, be it, you know, Google or or Alexa, and you can ask it to just play music or maybe connect with a thermostat. Hey, raise the temperature two degrees. But I still have to ask it to do something. I'm still calling it to attention and then requesting something. So can you walk me through, you know, what would an evening at home look like or what would a walk down the sidewalk look like in a truly ambient era before we get into what's required technologically to make it happen? In the ambient computing era, UI, that is user interface, is going to be primarily AI, artificial intelligence. Ambient would be intelligent. It would know about you. And it, there will be a lot of uh, preparatory things that Ambient could do on your behalf. So these things will happen when, when in the evening uh, you come home, the garage door knows you when you come in and, and well, assuming that you will be uh, uh, driving yourself or, you know, autonomous driving is part of Ambient computing, actually. And uh, so the Ambient knows about you, about your profile, about what you desire, when to turn the light on, when to play music for you, etc. And you will have the option of configuring and setting things the way you want, but in a natural way. A lot of these things can be basically discovered. I can give you an example. Say you want to go to a conference to give a talk. Then when you go to a store, the, the intelligence store would know about your intention. And then uh, the ambient would know what you're looking for and that the things would basically advertise themselves to you uh, that, oh, you are going to this conference. It's a formal thing. You would need this kind of clothes and how oh, you want to minimize the cost, etc. And this thing is telling you, hey, I meet your requirement and your intention. But for this to happen, the intent has to be able to be captured and predicted and facilitating things uh, to, to happen. And a major concern here would be privacy. It's like people uh, have the different levels of privacy, preference and expectation, uh, yet Ambient should be able to support them. And then you need mechanism for expressing your level of comfort, sharing your private information and security of that, etc. And so you don't even have to do things. Things will magically happen for you. I want to have like just a little bit more precision on that. And I, I do want us to talk about privacy as like an entire conversation as part of this. But 
you know, it's one thing for, I suppose, let's say I give all the permissions and AI is learning that when I have a conference, I like to go shopping three days before it and, you know, I buy a new blouse or whatever. So is it like going to proactively alert me like, hey, it's three days before and here's four blouses that we picked out based on your prior shopping trips and the level of and it looks like you're speaking at the conference. So we're going to get you a blazer top too or whatever. Does it like present that in front of me without me knowing it? And where does that even present itself on a screen somewhere? Right. So all these things are possible. But at the same time, you can see that there is enormous overwhelming amount of information that you can you could be bombarded uh, then therefore there has to be mechanisms and services that basically filter and provide you the information to make an analogy with today when you do a google search you type some keywords and there are enormously large places that have relevant information about what you just searched. But the search technology now has reached a point that what the search engines find and um, give you on top of this list, which is enormously large, is very, very helpful. You don't even have to finish your query. They can basically predict what you are going to search and help you with that and give you that information. Think about that in the ambient era. You want something, and uh, that thing is not keyword search. In that era, search will be there, the concept of uh, search and matching what you intend, but it's not going to be of this form. It, It could be like your autonomous car knows exactly what you want, and your question of how do you know about these things. Again, the form of a UI is basically advancing whether it would be uh, through something you would get on on, on your phone or, 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 or on your screen or on your wall or on your smart glass. They all are possible, but technologies have to be developed and the best solution would be the one that you know survives and thrives and goes forward. But one thing which is for sure is interoperability, connection of these devices together. This is the notion of ambient computing, that things have to work with each other in a collaborative, cooperative fashion and going forward. Now, I think when you come to AI, this notion of collaborative AI or or cooperative AI, where things uh, that know things uh, about uh, you, they can collaboratively provide you what you want. This is a long-term vision of what is going to come in ambient computing. I think to get there, you need this kind of transitional technologies and intermediate steps uh, to, to be able to get there. I can sort of understand this in my own home or in my own car or using collaborative devices or sensors that I've surrounded myself with. What happens when you know I enter a public space or a, a commons space? How are the ambient sensors um, and collaborative AI functioning there? Is it like for the common good or how are those decisions even being made? To address uh, this question, uh, I would like to first talk about something uh, which, you know, is well understood. And that is basically uh, search on the web. Now, everybody uses that and it's, it's well understood, at least from the, you know, uh, user point of view. The thing 
that make that possible, that uh, web search technologies, is the openness of HTML. That is, on the web pages, when you go and put a page up and it's on a server, suddenly this page is visible by essentially the entire world. You do not have to do anything special about it. And that is thanks to the search engine and the crawler they have. They, they can come and find you and your content and the connection that you have with other pages, the links that you have there and the other links that other pages, you know, create for you. And you become basically searchable. Now, if we go to ambient era, we really need to be able to have something like that. That first of all means two major things that are still missing interoperability and discoverability. Now, again, to make that analogy, in the past, in 70s and early 80s, internet existed, network protocol existed, you could connect computers, and you could FTP to a particular machine if you knew that their IP address, Unix had distributed file system, etc. But there was no universal language for the content. And that is what HTML essentially solved. It's like a universal language for describing the content. Now, it is inconceivable that one particular vendor can own all the devices in the world. So devices have to be able to work with each other. They have to be interoperable. Their properties and capabilities have to be discoverable. The same way that basically a search engine could go and look at a page and figure out what is in it, your devices should be able to look around and find the information and services that are in the ambient. Of course, today you can hardwire code that, you know, two devices work with each other, but you want, as you move around in, in the ambient, your intelligent devices can work with other things spontaneously without any pre-described program to do that. And to do that, things have to be able to provide information about themselves, what are their properties, what are their values, and the action they provide. We need to get to the point of web of things, where things would be interoperable and uh, would be discoverable. These two requirements are foundation of all these things that I described, that, uh, uh, say, you are driving, your uh, intelligent car can query things for you, it, it has learned about you, it can query the things surrounding you and discover things that match your intent and deliver you in the form that is available to you. Now, in the ambient era, you are moving your computing with you and the way you will be interacting with intelligent ambient depends on what is surrounding you, what is available to you. You may have your phone with you or not, or a display might be available to you or not. So dynamic, customizable for user, intelligent information would be flowing around in that era. And devices and gadgets, they are all consumers of this information and producers of the information. And of course, for that, one needs to establish uh, secure and 
private mechanisms. This area of Web3 is all about that. And you having also a control uh, over your information, as opposed to the web right now, which that part is broken and and uh, you basically don't have control over that. So essentially, the technology that has brought us here, building upon that and the things that we have learned are taking us to the next era. And there is such major changes uh, happening to meet these requirements in the software architecture area, like the notion of containers and lightweight con- containers, fine-grained, basically, containers, movable computing that things can move around. And similarly, in, on the architecture side, accelerators for these primitives, they are all happening as we speak. And some of that is out there to address the different kinds of, uh, like when you say a device becomes discoverable and then it announces itself as, hey, I uh, I function in real time, for example, or I don't function in real time, <laughs> or I have X amount of processing power, so I could potentially process a certain amount of something right here on the edge versus I take all my information and I send it to the cloud for processing and it comes back. Are those the types of things that would be discoverable? Exactly. Essentially, you can think of the ability to process the computing itself becoming a thing and a service that it would basically say, I am capable of doing this with so much delay. And you just would say, okay, I need some somebody to execute that. And I think it will take us to compute markets like compute auction and that would facilitate this, essentially. And then the notion of multi-cloud that on the uh, cloud side uh, is happening right now in the utility area. You see, the energy that we have here Mm -hmm. dynamically is purchased from who, God knows, from where, Canada, you know, Michigan, et cetera, things like that. It is happening in energy and is fueling us without us knowing anything about that. If you want to make that analogy, in the past, you have to have your own generator, right, to get that. Mm-hmm. And now it is coming to you. It is just that. That's why in, in, in the past, uh, in, uh, the, the, the notion of ambient computing or part of it was, uh, was called utility computing or later it became like pervasive computing or ubiquitous computing. But I think these other ones, all capture one aspect of that. Like ubiquitous computing means it is everywhere or pervasive, the same thing. And utility is focusing, emphasizing one aspect of it. But the notion of ambient computing is a really comprehensive one, which basically says, hey, this is the main thing that is happening. Is ambient is becoming our computer. And all these devices are supporting that and services that are behind it, the backbone of computing. I want to go back to this other notion of going to the commons or being in an ambient environment that's a public place. Can you talk to us about both the issue of privacy around discoverability of me and my private information in that environment who owns the information or even who has custody of information or access to information that's gathered in those kinds of environments. And then also, how is that information being used in a collective? I mean, just to give a, you know, one example could just be like an intersection. 
Another one could be the temperature in an office building. We all want a different temperature. How does it decide? So can you get into some of those other kinds of questions? First of all, how you can uh, sort of collect this information and interact with this information. I, I want to point to just one technology that Google was doing, which is particularly good. They had uh, this project, uh, I think it's ongoing, it's called Google Physical Web, which is basically about very cheap beacons, a couple dollars that you can buy. And every say second, it broadcasts a URL. That's only thing that it does. It broadcasts a URL. Now you can get this beacon and tie it to say your dog. But that simple notion of a URL enables you to capture enormous unlimited semantics in that URL on that page. Then you can have information about this thing. Of course, then uh, how you access that privacy part of that, the security part of that, they can all be controlled. But here you basically see how suddenly things that are not smart can become smart and even intelligent by just this notion of, okay, I have a way of telling you about myself through a URL that then uh, say my, I'm, I'm driving or I go to the mall and this dress has this beacon that is you know, broadcasting this information. And my smart device, whatever that is, can communicate with that, knows about the price and everything without I even be involved in that. It is just doing all the negotiation. But the point is, okay, how do you control this private data and who owns that, etc.? These are all the main core topics of uh, Web3 uh, that is essentially under development. And of course, like all the great exciting technologies, there's a lot of hype around it. But the main uh, notion there is having the ability of controlling the ownership and revenue out of the data, which is valuable, that that, that is by itself a whole discussion. But I, I, I just give you an example. Like if I'm going to mall and let's assume the mall is like today's mall, all these things are broadcasting. Can you optimize that so that, you know, I get things that are close to me and not far or when I'm looking at them, I see that not when I don't or prioritize the way these things are processed technology for that like um beam forming technologies in when you uh, say uh when you say beam forming are you referencing 5G no no beam forming is uh, basically saying uh when you have multiple sources of signal and echo device uh, alexa is there and you're talking tv is on kids are talking dog is barking and you want to say something all these noises are there how can alexa recognize what is the main noise? So beamforming is the technology that strengthens the main signal and filters the other one by using multiple microphones. Echo could be like six microphones. And they use beamforming and they, they do a really good job uh, of finding what is the main signal. This is just one example. And the same thing existed with radar and, mm -hmm. and, and other domains. But these are the basic core technologies that would be required to solve the problem that you were sort of hinting also, which is overwhelming amount of information. How do you find the right one? And privacy 
Again, I think um, the Web3 discussion is around that blockchain, Web3, and a software part of that is notion of decentralized compute, decentralized architecture, and so on. So a lot need to happen to get there, but but these things have started, these transitional technologies, uh, we see them right now, and uh, I think if you want to summarize the whole thing, is just this notion of ambient is becoming the main paradigm type of uh, computation. And uh, again, humans are consuming that and generating some of that. Even machines are consuming that. So I think you're saying that things like discoverability or an individual desire to not be discoverable, even in a sort of public environment, or like right now, I can leave my cell phone at home and you know, I, I sort of feel undiscoverable, except I guess now we have cameras on intersections and on a lot of city streets, depending where you are in the world. But is there a way to be undiscoverable? That as well as where the data resides or who has access to it, especially when you're looking at kind of a public service, uh, just again, like an intersection or something like that, where maybe every car has already a map on saying where the person's going, well, that's very personal private information or who the person is. And they would have the ability to collect that. However, that shouldn't be of interest. What should be of interest is making sure the cars don't collide. Um, So I think what you're saying is a lot of these things like discoverability, privacy, and then filtering the data or prioritizing what's going to then happen in an environment that's shared among multiple people, all of those are under discussion now. There's not like a single protocol that we all have already agreed upon in those spaces. Exactly. And now, for example, uh, privacy, in in fact, there is good uh, research uh, at Carnegie Mellon. It was the concept of a personalized privacy assistant. That is, I want to be able to describe my privacy preferences. Just say, okay, I'm comfortable with things uh, seeing me or not. And when I interact or my devices interact in the ambient era with other things, this may be used as my preference in protocol of interaction with them. If a thing that is a smart and if I want to use it, it would require my photo to be taken, and I am not comfortable with that, that negotiation will happen automatically. Mm-hmm. And uh, essentially, I am not going to get all the information that that device provides. It has to adhere to my preference. But to get there, we need to have standards, right? And standards, mm-hmm. we need to have demonstration of technology. This uh, web of things that I mentioned, there is actually a section completely on privacy part. So it is like how you describe your privacy preferences. So with this project with Carnegie Mellon, they came up with this notion of a privacy label, like nutrition labels. Like, you know, you buy a cracker uh, or a can of soda. It tells you about sodium and calories. You want something like that 
for an IoT device or for a service in general. And again, it is not just for human interaction that uh, I go and read the label. It is for my smart device interaction, ambient interaction with each other, that there must be this uh, standard that basically uh, would communicate and agree upon seamlessly on my behalf. And we are at the again kind of beginning of discussion around this thing, prototyping, demonstrating, and ultimately standardizing. And I have been so uh, high and optimistic about it is it is a worldwide web consortium standard discussion. Mm -hmm. It is not owned by any particular vendor. It is basically the same organization that essentially standardized the web, made everything working with each other. I expect there's going to be hierarchies of security as well, right, among devices. So Absolutely. Absolutely. You're not going to let the traffic light connect with, you know, some far less secure uh, game that somebody has maybe on their phone or something. All these uh, areas are in development and in discussion. But again, to just summarize the whole thing and, okay, what is the big deal? The big deal, I think, is it is ambient that is becoming smart that's becoming intelligent. It actually is a learning thing and it records things about me. It knows things about me. It anticipates on my behalf mm -hmm. and we eventually will get there. Of course, like anything else, you know, there are trial and error and problems, but uh, we, we are headed in that direction. My guest today is Mo Hagigat. He's a fellow at Intel in charge of web architecture and software optimization. Thank you so much, Mo, for coming on the show. Really great to be with you. Stay tuned for the next episode of Cybersecurity Inside. Follow at Tom M. Garrison and Camille at Morehart on Twitter to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening. The views and opinions expressed are those of the guests and author and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Intel Corporation.